The book of Revelation is a wonderful book. I, I, I absolutely love it. So, in a typically rebellious American fashion, I'm going to start my sermon on Revelation by not quoting from it. Please turn your Bibles over to Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. My people, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. That there shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Certainly this is true. Now we see a lot of knowledge floating about in the world today, especially on social media. But that doesn't mean they have a, a knowledge that is good. There's a lot of strange teaching out there and people often read the Bible without understanding what they're reading. Sometimes they don't realize that the Bible uses flowery language to describe things. It's not as literal as a, as a, 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 a legal document. Quite a lot of the time there's, there's a lot of, of, of flowery language there, a lot of illustrations. And how many times have you heard or even possibly been told that Christ is coming back to earth to reign literally, physically, from the city of Jerusalem for a thousand years. Now, I know the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Christ already returned, he's invisible, and he's reigning from the Bronx. Um, prove it. You can. It's not true. It's not in the Bible. But many denominations actually believe this. They teach this, and a lot of people think this to be true as well. Well, did you know that this is not taught in the Bible? It's actually not there. In fact, it can't be found anywhere in the Holy Scriptures. And yet people believe it and they teach it over and over. So where does this strange idea come from? Well, that's what we'll be talking about this morning. Ch Revelation chapter 20 and the thousand-year reign of Christ. There simply isn't enough room on the board out there to put that up. That's simple as that. <laughs> well, I would ask you to please trust your Bible, not Facebook. Not the TV. Don't wait for the movie. Read the book. It's a common expression in the religious world that the Bible plainly teaches that Christ will reign on earth for a thousand years. And that is something the Bible nowhere says, plainly or even vaguely. Something along the lines of the Battle of Armageddon notion. That's not there either. You might think it is, but it's not. It's simply not in the Word of God. Armageddon is mentioned in the Bible but the theory of the battle of Armageddon is not found anywhere in the Holy Scriptures. The Bible has something to say about a thousand years, but nothing about a thousand year physical reign of Christ on earth. Christ reigns, but the reign of Revelation 20 is not the reign of Christ. It is the peculiar and special reign of certain souls with Christ. It does not mention the reign of Christ at all. The ones mentioned were reigning in special use of the word applied to a special incident in Revelation. See, the text says they lived and reigned. They lived and reigned. Where did they live and reign? They lived and reigned with Christ. John saw souls out of the body, not in the body. There's no physical dimension to this whatsoever. It was a vision of souls, a vision of souls of martyrs living and reigning with Christ in a particular sense. Now let's read Revelation 20, verses 1 to 8. 
Revelation 20, verses 1 to 8. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the, for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had worshipped the beast, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads, or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, and the number of them is as the sand of the sea. So before we get into the particulars of some of these verses, we need to understand something about the theory that assumes that Christ will come back and set up an earthly kingdom and reign upon the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem for a thousand years. This comes from the doctrine known as premillennialism. Pre means before, and millennium means a thousand. So premillennial simply means before a thousand. And in relation to religion, it means the return of Jesus before the establishment of a thousand-year physical utopian reign upon the planet Earth. It is a doctrine that focuses primarily on the establishment of Christ's kingdom and his universal reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so today, we'll look at this one passage in all the Bible that is at the very heart of premillennial teaching. You see, if you read it literally, you might come to that conclusion. But it's not supposed to be taken literally. Before we do that even... We even do that, we must remember that Revelation is a book of signs. It's a book of wonders, a book of symbols. It is apocalyptic language, and it is not to be interpreted literally. The very opening sentence of the Bible tells us, of, of the book of Revelation, tells us this so. It also tells us that these things are to shortly come to pass. Then, not now. Second, we must also remember that any passage must be interpreted within the context. To lift a passage out of what comes before or after it, to interpret it in any other way than one that is in harmony with the message and purpose of the entire book in which it is written down in, is to make it mean something the author never intended for it to mean. It is a perversion of scripture. It's like trying to fit a square peg into a triangular hole. Now, the Apostle Peter talks about those who would so rest, that is, twist the Scriptures, as being unlearned men and unstable. And they do such to their own destruction. 2 Peter 3 and verse 16. The third principle of biblical interpretation is this. We need to observe with this passage and all others is that controversial 
and difficult passages must always be interpreted in harmony with all plain teaching elsewhere in the scripture. You see, God never contradicts himself. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1 and verse 9, for the word of God, for the testimony of Jesus Christ. It tells us that John was imprisoned. We know what the Bible says as to why John was there. And that was to receive the revelation. It's the, it's the book of Revelation, not Revelations, by the way. That's a pet peeve, drives me crazy. But that is the vision for the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. He knew the, the, the disciples in the area of the, uh, of the seven churches and others were suffering. They were suffering intense persecutions at this time. Of course, if he was to write a letter saying the Roman emperor is doing this, as soon as the Romans found that, he was a dead man, and they were dead. But the message he received was of the Lord, and he wrote it in this book, and it was to, number one, to tell the Christians of the time that God was aware of their persecutions, but that things were going to get even worse. Number two, to exhort them, to encourage them to be faithful unto death, regardless of what that cost was. Whatever, regardless of what comes. And number three, to assure them they would win because of Christ. Now where does the thousand year passage fit into the overall message of Revelation? It's not hard to figure that out from the fact that it appears toward the end of the book. It is a promise of victory in symbolic language. He is saying that those who endured will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. The question is, does this mean, does this mean that Christ is coming back to earth at some point in the future to set up a kingdom of peace and prosperity and reign from Jerusalem for a thousand years? Does it mean, yes, brethren, Christ is coming back to reign for a thousand years in Jerusalem to save you from the Emperor Nero in the Roman Empire? But he's a bit late. Nero's dead. The Roman Empire's crumbled. Is he going to come and save you from the European Union? Talk about a wet fish. Man, that wouldn't be much of a victory. Britain's left. They've got nothing now. <laughs> Not much, anyway. While a large portion of denominational and untrained and uneducated preachers say it does, say that's exactly what it means. They say that the Bible plainly says that we shall reign with Christ on earth. So it must be true. You found it on Facebook. It's got to be true, isn't it? Got to be right. And when you ask them for the passage that says this, they will always refer to Revelation 20, verse 4. So let's read this again. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and the judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had, wor which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned to Christ a thousand years. That's the verse they look. That's the passage that's almost universally believed to actually say that we shall reign with Christ physically. But what does the Bible really say? This is why context is important, brethren. This is why knowledge of history is important. This is why knowledge of culture is important. Because when you leave them out, you're not getting the full picture. Brethren, there are still people out there waiting for the army of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire to assault Jerusalem. That happened 2,600 years ago, but they're still waiting for it to happen now. 
Nebuchadnezzar is long dead and his empire is long dead. Even the one that tried to bring it back, Saddam Hussein, got captured by a Marine, an Irish Marine too, I might add, in, in Iraq, living down a hole. There was the, the successor to Nebuchadnezzar. Man, the smell off that guy from what I've been told. But anyway, God knows what he's doing. The Babylonian Empire is gone. The Roman Empire is gone. Nero is gone. So what's the scripture really saying? Well, the text here is saying they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The pronoun we, and I apologize if this grammar lesson is going to give you a headache. It certainly does me. I do apologize. It's even worse in Greek. We is a personal pronoun in the first person. The verbs lived and reigned are past tense. Shall live and reign are verbs of future tense. No one has the right to change the sentence from the third personal pronoun, they to we, or to change the verbs lived and reigned of the past tense to shall live and reign future tense. That's what's happening here. That's why they're placing this event in the future at some magical time. Furthermore, John said they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The passage says nothing about the thousand year reign of Christ. There is a great difference between the two expressions. Revelation 20 says they lived and reigned with Christ. They who lived where? How did they reign? And with whom? And in what place? It's not the reign of Christ. It's the reign of souls with Christ. There's a difference between living and reigning with Christ and a thousand year physical reign of Christ upon a physical throne. It doesn't mention the reign of Christ. It says the reign of souls with him. And they not only reigned with him, they lived with him. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. And if that is to be literally interpreted, if we are talking about time here, then when the reign is over and they cease to reign, the living is over and they will cease to live. That doesn't make any sense, does it? But that's, that's what, what they ask you to believe. In fact, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 to 6, and see what the passage does not mention. It doesn't mention the second coming of Christ. It does not mention a bodily resurrection. It does not mention a reign on earth. It does not mention a reign of Christ. Isn't it possible for souls to live and reign with Christ without Christ being on earth? It does not mention the throne of David, nor Jerusalem, nor Israel, nor Christ on earth. It doesn't mention any of those things. Christ said that Jerusalem is not the place where men should worship. But they want to put it there. He said his kingdom is not of this world. But they want to put it there. And make it of this world. That is in complete contradiction to what Christ has said. Now the world can, that's full of pre-millennialists. They can say that even though the Bible mentions none of those things. None of them. But they do teach it. And not only that, but they, they have done some, some of them even claim that everything in the chapter is literal. Literal horses, literal swords, literal rods of iron, literal wine press, even literal buzzards eating the literal flesh of kings. So what about a literal angel coming down with a literal chain to literally bind the literal dragon? And the literal body of the dragon literally filled the whole earth. 
his literal tail reached into the literal heavens and literally plucked the stars out of the heavens. And then what about the millennia? Nothing was said about a millennium. The th- a thousand years did not mean a millennium, a, a millennial reign. There never will be a millennial reign in the Bible. There never was a millennial reign, and there never will be a millennial reign. The thousand years was not literal. The magic word millennium is simply not in the text. It means something different to them. We also read that John saw thrones and the ones that sat on them. And those whom he saw were the souls of the beheaded. They had not worshipped the beast. They had not received his mark. And they lived and reigned with Christ. Within context, the beast that was around at that time was talking about beast worship. What was beast worship? It was emperor worship. People have been forced to worship the emperor Nero as a living God. And if you didn't have his mark upon you, which was put upon them by, the, by the, 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 uh, the police at the time, the religious police, then you couldn't buy or sell anything. Is this sounding familiar to the readers of the book of Revelation? You know, Roman numer- numers, <laughs> numericals, Roman numbers had their equivalent to our modern numbers that, that we use today. So... One was I, two was two eyes. So names had a value. The numerical value of the name Nero is 666. This Antichrist has come and gone. It's not to say the spirit of Antichrist isn't in the world. It most certainly is. It hasn't gone away. But they're talking about the Emperor Nero. Now let's look at the statement that they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. It does not mention the second coming of Christ, a bodily resurrection, a reign on earth, or a literal throne in Jerusalem or anywhere else. It does not mention us. It does not mention Christ on earth. Revelation doesn't mention any of those things. Not at all. A curse was pronounced on the one who adds to the words of the book. Let's look at who reigned. Who did they are that lived and reigned with Christ? It says they, that's the souls of the martyrs, those who were beheaded. The beheaded souls lived and reigned with Christ. Only those who were beheaded entered into that thousand years. Now, if that thousand years is literal, then the beheading is literal, and only those who were literally beheaded get into the millennium. That's it. That's a high price to pay, isn't it? If it's a thousand literal years, then it's a literal beheading. If it's a figurative beheading, then it is a figurative thousand years. And either way, there's no millennium for us. And as we mentioned before in regard to the they who lived and reigned, if the term reigned is limited to a, by a thousand years, the verb lived is also limited by a thousand years. If the reigning ends with a thousand years, then the living ends with a thousand years as well. And the millennium will end with everyone in it dying. What a hopeless millennium. Then we come to the expression, this is the first resurrection. That is proof in itself that John was talking about a figurative resurrection. But when we say this, some folks will say something like, who ever heard of a figurative uh, resurrection? Well, what about Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 1 to 14? 
The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley which was full of bones and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bodies, Behold, I will lay sinews upon you, and I will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and ye shall live, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied, and as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking. And the bones came together, bone to bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews of the flesh came upon them, and the skin entered them above, and there was no breath in them. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come upon the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our, from, our po- for, from our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves and shall put my spirit in you and ye shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then ye shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it said the Lord, taking Israel out of the land of their captivity and bringing them back to their own land was called a resurrection. That's what he's talking about here. Not something similar to a scene in a horror book. They were in the grave of captivity in Babylon. Their dried bones had ceased to be a nation upon the earth but they were still a living people. God said that he opened their graves, their graves in Babylon, the grave of the exile, and brought them out and caused them to live in their return to Judea. And then we have Isaiah, who prophesied the Babylonian exile a hundred years before it happened. In Isaiah chapter 56, 13 to 19, he said, O Lord our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us, But by thee only will we make mention of thy name. They are dead. They shall not live. They are deceased. They shall not rise. Therefore thou hast visited and destroyed them and made all their memory perish. He's talking about the wicked lords of the Old Testament. How they had oppressed God's people. They were lords over God's people. Isaiah said other lords once had dominion over them. We're talking about them having dominion, rule over them. But they were dead and should not live. Their rulers of the past are not coming back. They were deceased and they should not rise. Just like Nebuchadnezzar 
or Saddam Hussein, they're deceased, they're not going to come back into their power. They will raise, be raised to judgment, but they will not be raised to their dominion again. So does this mean that the wicked will not be caused to raise from the dead? That they would not live again? If that's what it means, then there will be no literal resurrection of the wicked. But it is symbolic language. The dominion of the wicked lords over God's people would be put down once and for all. While these lords had dominion over God's people, they were said to live, in other words, live in their own dominion. When that dominion was destroyed and the oppression of God's people brought to an end, these lords would be dead. They were dead as lords, as kings, as rulers. They shall not live, that is, their dominion shall not exist again. Over in Romans eleven fifteen, Paul talks about the spiritual resurrection of Israel. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? You see, when the Jews were converted to Christ under the gospel, not all were, but many, many were, it was the receiving of them as life from the dead. That's another figurative or a spiritual resurrection. They were spiritually dead, but in Christ they became spiritually resurrected, spiritually alive. Let's take a look at Revelation 20, verse 5, where it says, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. The rest of the dead lived not. Since the only ones who are said to have lived were the souls of the slain martyrs, and the rest of the dead lived not, but judgment was given to them, who did they judge? And how did they judge? And if lived means they were given literal bodies, then when the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years was finished, it means that the rest of the dead would be given literal bodies at the end of the thousand years. Is that really making any sense? That forces the resurrection of the wicked too early, before the time of the resurrection and the judgment. In the millennial order of things, that's what it does. And their theory bogs down again. The rest of the dead here simply refer to the persecutors whose oppressors had been overcome. Just as Isaiah chapter 26, 13 to 14 referred to the wicked lords who had dominion over Israel as being dead and should not live and should not rise. They're gone. Their empires are gone. They're, they won't come back. The statement until the thousand years were finished doesn't mean the figurative deceased persecutions would be revived afterwards. The word until means the end or determination. And there are examples of this in other places of the Bible. In Hebrews 9 and verse 10, we're told that the carnal ordinances of the Mosaical order, of the Mosaical order the laws of Moses, were imposed on them until the time of, the Reform time of Reformation. That does not mean that after the present gospel dispensation, the ordinances of Judaism will be put into effect once again. They're gone. In 1 Samuel 15.35, after Saul's disobedience and the expedition against the Amalekites, it is said that Samuel came no more to see Saul until the day of his death. This does not mean that Samuel continued to visit Saul after he died. The word until means an end or a termination. Over in Luke 16:16, 16, 16, Jesus said the law and the prophets were until John. That is, until John's order ended. 
But the Lord did not mean the law and the prophets would be reinstated after that. Context. We must always remember context within Scripture. And so in Revelation, the statement the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years were finished did not mean that the figurative dead persecutors were going to come back to life. Nero's going to come back to life and get you. No. In symbolic language, it is talking about the end of the imperial persecutors of the church. Just like in Isaiah chapter 26, 13 to 14. Just how that meant the end of the dominion of the wicked lords over Israel. And so the first resurrection was spiritual. It was the resurrection of the cause for which they died. And it is also, it's very important to remember this, it's also important to realize that Revelation 20 describes no period of blessing to be enjoyed at the close of this dispensation. It will not stand up to the literal meanings that premillennialists want to give it. But it is a practical lesson to us that it is the portion of every true believer in any age who shares the life of the Lord through obedience to him commands And so those who teach in order to fulfill the prophecies that Christ is coming back to set up his earthly kingdom and sit on the literal throne of David and rule a thousand years are completely turning their backs on Bible truth. It is true that Isaiah chapter 6 verses 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom, so to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. But on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached that Christ had fulfilled those prophecies. They were fulfilled at Pentecost, not at some fictional battle in the distant future. In fact, according to premillennialism, this battle should have happened in the 1980s. It didn't happen. Supposed to happen around the year 2000, it didn't happen. Believe me, I read the books. I used to believe this stuff. It didn't happen. They keep moving it. The latest date is 2028. They keep moving it. In Acts 2, verse 29 to 36, we read this. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and and his sepulchre is with us unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit, Christ was raised up for this purpose, to sit, which means to reign on his, on David's throne. He's saying this before he spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, He had shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David has not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. 
Now, when the New Testament says an Old Testament prophecy has been fulfilled, it is fulfilled. Christ has already fulfilled these prophecies. And he is now sitting on the throne of David, ruling over his universal kingdom, of which there is no end. World without end, dominion without end, reign without end, authority without end. 1 Corinthians 15, 22-24 says of the resurrection of the dead, As in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall be made alive. But in every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. Where's the thousand-year reign in there? It's symbolism to give the saints that were being persecuted courage, to let them know that the imperial order that was destroying them would one day be gone, to let them know that the beast that many were being forced to worship would die and not come back. Christ's coming will mark the end of the world. Not a thousand year reign upon the earth, but the kingdom that he is reigning over now would be ushered into eternity. I mentioned that one of the basic rules of Bible interpretation is to interpret the passage under consideration in relation to its context. The verses that are immediately before and after it. In light of that, I find it interesting that every time the kingdom is mentioned in the book of Revelation, a first century document, it is mentioned as presently in existence. Present, not future, but present. For example, Revelation 1 verses 4 to 6 says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, unto him that loved us and loosed us from our sins by his blood, and he that made us to be Christians are now priests unto God. Now. And just as surely as Christians are priests, a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9, the church is presently the kingdom of Christ. He reigns now. We reign with him now. And according to Revelation 17, 14, and 19, 16, Christ is, present tense, is King of kings and Lord of lords. His rule is now and forevermore, without end. There's no end to it. The book of Revelation is a wonderful book. I absolutely love it. But it must not be read literally. And we must not read into it our own present culture, our own present understanding of science or, th- or men, man-made theories about religion. That way you get aliens coming into it and all different kinds of things being added to it. You get us flying away to other worlds on wings in the future, disappearing in and out of walls, being able to fly through the middle of Jupiter or the sun or have a party with angels upon the sun. I've read all of this kind of thing. That's not what the Bible's talking about. Everything must be placed within its context. Christ reigns and rules right now. Those messages were messages of encouragement to the church back then. We can learn much from them. Most of all, we can learn that Christ is reigning now. Not to worry about the future because he reigns now. If Christ doesn't come back in 2028, what are they going to do? Move it again to 2040. 2080, how far can they, do, can they move it? 
According to those who said that the Lord was coming back, he should have come back around the year 1988. So they had to stretch it and change the date again and again and again. They're trying to find solutions to this. But the Bible tells us that the Lord is coming back. And when he comes back, it's time up. That's it. End of the world. Those of us who are Christians and still alive will go and meet with him. We'll be with him. There's an urgency in the call of the gospel. In Acts 22, 16, we're told to, to not tarry, to not wait. And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. That means that you have complete confidence that God is able to do what he promises. And he is. We must not limit God. How can we limit God? In Acts 3.27 we're told, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That means that if you have not been baptized into Christ, you're not a Christian. That's what the Bible is saying. I'm not trying to upset anyone or offend anyone. That's simply what the Bible says. The Bible tells us the things that are. It tells us the things that are not. Nowhere in the Bible does it mention that Christ, when he returns, is going to be invisible. No, every eye shall see him. It's in Revelation. Every eye shall see him. Not he'll be invisible and go to the bronze. Every eye will see him. It talks about him coming back once. In order for a literal 1,000 years on earth reign to happen, he'll have to come back in multiple stages. But that's not in the Bible. It might be on a NASA rocket, but it's not in the Word of God. It's quite simple. And remember the title of Lord, for Jesus is the Lord, carries with it authority, a religious authority. A religious authority that the Caesars of Rome assumed. Nero would have been called Curios Nero Caesar, Lord Nero Caesar. But he wasn't the Lord. Curios Christos. Jesus Christ is the Lord. The Lord, Messiah King. That's what it means. Christos is from the Greek. The Greek is a translation from the Hebrew of Mashiach. And in Hebrew, it's Mashiach Hadid. means Messiah King. He is the King. The last reigning King of Israel, never to be replaced. And now he reigns over the world. And all are accountable to him. Every knee shall bow. There are rulers in the world right now that think that they're in charge, just for a while. They're just stewards, and they have to answer to the rightful king. Many people believe that America is a republic. Brethren, it's not. We have a king. His name is Jesus Christ, and he reigns over the whole world. And all of our rulers, no matter who they are, will have to bend the knee to him and answer to him for what they've done in their lives, in the jobs that they have been entrusted in. You will. I will. We all do. So it makes sense to get right with Christ while yet we may. So please, please don't believe what people put up on these, on these crazy ideas. Believe what the Bible says. Place it within its context. And it's like my old teacher used to say, and he was from Mississippi. If you know anything about the Mississippi roads, you'll know you keep it between the ditches. Because if you don't, you're going to be in the ditches. And they're big ditches. It's the same with the Bible. Context is king. Trust the word of God. Trust Christ when he tells us to be baptized. If you're not a Christian today, please be baptized. Please accept Christ as your Lord, your Savior, and your King, while yet you may. 
Time is short and we don't know how much time we have. Many make plans. But then it ends just like that. Make sure you're ready. Make sure you're ready to stand before the Saviour. If you are a Christian and you need our help in anything, we're here for you as we stand and sing the song of invitation. Thank you.